Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome once again to the show made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're continuing our best of summer series as we bring you some of our favourite interviews of 2023. Today we're revisiting our chat with Aussie surfing legend and world champion Mark Ocalupo. Enjoy. Mark Ocalupo was a child prodigy who left home and left school after year 10 to chase his dream. And the man known as Oki was on the world tour by 17 and at the top of the ranking shortly thereafter as his powerful and aggressive style took pro surfing by storm. For a time, the journey was derailed by depression and addiction, something that has also challenged him in retirement. But Oki returned to take out the world title in the twilight of his career. Mark Ocalupo, welcome aboard. It's a great pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no worries. Hey, I've got a straight up, I just have to say, I'm wrapped to speak to you, but I'm also somewhat shattered because I know there's no way we're going to fit it all in, Mark. It's hard to know where to start, to be honest, but where do we find you these days? I'm up on the Gold Coast. I'm like just in a beautiful spot, Rainbow Bay. I kind of look over that uh, prestigious wave snapper rock we have a world tour event at. And yeah, so I, I pretty much stay local. It's nice and close to the airport. If I've got to go overseas, I'm happy at home, you know, after travelling on the tour for well over, well, 20 30 years. Wow, what a great place to call home. I'm familiar with the spot. It is a magical part of Australia and the world. Oki, four kids, four boys, I think. Jay, Jonah, Jasper and Java. The four Jays, yeah. I had a friend in Hawaii that I used to stay with when I was young and he had nine kids and they they were all Ks and uh, (laughs) thought I'd kind of join in and, um, you know, you never kind of get their names wrong because you're always starting off with a J. So, you know, you you don't often get it right, but at least you get the first letter right, you know what I mean? (laughs) Actually, how many surfers are among the four, I know obviously Jay's in the thick of it. Who else gets the board out? Jonah's um, surfs too. He surfs pretty good. He's not um, Jay kind of. He was a fish. He just took to it. You know, Jonah actually took to it pretty quick. But I'd have to say it was my fault when I um, kind of pushed him into a wave. And like this day, it was you know about waist high the waves were. And I because when you push them in, you don't have your surfboard, your own surfboard, and you kind of push them in. But when they start getting good, there's a time where you kind of got to get on your your own board. Once they go across the wave, they start getting good. Hard to swim to the day. He he went along the point break where I live, and um, I couldn't get to him. And a, a set broke wide and. and kind of you know held him down for a little while you know when they're five or six it freaks them out and um he didn't want to surf for a couple of years that's the only reason he's kind of behind jay you know that was you know it was my fault you know he loves it now but um it did scare him off for a couple of years younger ones they're starting yeah jack 
Jasper's five, so he's at that kind of nurturing age at the moment. But um, the little three-year-old, he's uh, you know, he's playing in the little ankle high waves. But, yeah. You know, they're all going to be surfers. They've got no choice. Surely, I know they keep you busy. And I know the lifestyle up there. You're up early. It's an outdoors lifestyle. There's a, obviously the beach, but golf, kids sports. And you know, is this the perfect scenario for you, Oki? Like someone as I, I think you've admitted to previously, has that you know addictive personality, almost that obsessive nature that that's innate in you. Definitely, I, I learned you know through my life that I definitely have that addictive personality you know at a kind of a young age I probably didn't realize it you know but um when I burned out on tour and you know start, started uh kind of realizing it you know on my kind of probably when I was trying to come back definitely I mean surfing you know having an addictive personality probably surfing's the best thing you can do because it's just so good for you <laughs> you know just being out there in the elements and so probably nothing better to be addicted to I can't think of anyway <laughs> you know I mean there's other sports but you know just surfing so easy on the body well so we're obviously going to talk a lot about the good times today but but these days yeah. you're comfortable talking about your darkest chapters aren't you they were in the book you know and I mean and a lot's happened in the book you know and I mean we're probably thinking about writing another one because there's a movie company that's wanting to do the, the movie on my life and up till now would be good you know there's a lot happened since then I gave up drinking like about four years ago best move I done because you know we're an addictive, addictive personality um, mm. alcohol is not good Ocalupo yeah. Italian heritage obviously I mean what, what are the bloodlines look there Mark obviously you, you, your dad your dad uh, moved over at a, at a younger age my dad um, came over on the boat yeah in, um, in the 50s and met my mother from with the boat stopped in New Zealand. They met, then they rehooked back up in um, Northern Queensland and Cairns and uh, settled in Sydney. But um, yeah, my dad wasn't a surfer. Really proud of the name, you know. Like I've all learned all about the name, and I've been to Italy. And the only thing I I wish was I, I learned Italian, you know, because when when we were young, we got paid out for being wog, which is a Western Oriental gentleman, right? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a nice name, and um, you don't hear it much anymore. But you know. Like it was the Aussie Ockers, you know, like mm. we weren't exactly that. And we got paid out. And I, if I learned Italian, I just, it would have been so handy on tour because, you know, we competed in Europe a lot and I would have picked up French and, and other languages that you need, like Spanish. And so that's my biggest regret. But, you know, the name is really important. I have Italian people saying I got the coolest name, the Eyes of the Wolf. Um, Occhi means eyes and Lupo means wolf. And so it's a cool name and I'm really proud of it. Just don't have four boys that will carry the name on too. But my dad was a great man. You know, he was really really proud of me. you know he worked in an Italian firm and he had Italian friends so his accent was strong right to the end you know he did come down and see me compete in when I won my first big event you know at Cronulla which is great yeah definitely not definitely didn't come from a, a surfing family yeah so your father was Luciano your mum was Pam and I think you had yeah. three older sisters didn't you Oki and that they they yeah. used to use you for the I odd did. dress up wouldn't they do have three Yep, they did dress me up when I was young. They put me in skirts. So I was, you know, probably one or two years old. I remember when I got to about probably six or seven years old, and I still wanted to wear a skirt. And my mum, um, I think, was starting to put kilts on me, so it didn't look so weird. But you know, the Scottish kilts, and um, definitely wasn't Scottish. But uh, you know, it, I definitely grew out of it, which is a good thing. Born, born and raised in Sydney, or at least for the early part of your life, was it Captain Cook Drive, Kernel? So out near the, yes. you know, the oil refineries. And the, watch the tankers coming in out there? Definitely. Um, you know, like, I actually learned it was, yeah, I grew up in front of Captain Cook's anchor when, you know, and it's not a great story, you know, to to have, which I learned all about because, you know, I mean, Captain Cook wasn't a great man. I mean, obviously he was a great 
discovery um like an explorer but you know we came into the to botany bay shot aboriginals and i learned all about it. i uh learned a lot about captain cook actually and um went to the place in hawaii where um he got killed by the hawaiian i grew up in a beautiful place you know botany bay um we got uh we had good you know coming in the heads where the swells come in and once they were big enough they would wrap right into botany bay with and that's where i learned to surf in the, on the beach there but yeah so um that's where i grew up you know i moved out uh, Granola when I was uh, old enough because that's where all the good waves were and um, <laughs> you know the action. Cornell was a pretty sleepy little town, kind of still is. You know, I was there recently, um, sports lunch, and and, uh, and I went back to Cornell, and it, it's the same. It hasn't changed. Hey, so, Mark, how did how did surfing like first enter your life? I mean, have you got your sisters to thank for this? It was her boyfriend that was. Um, had caught a couple of waves and they were just on the beach and I asked if I could use a board and stood up on a, you know, on an ankle high wave and rode it the whole way, which is not really hard to do, but I was hooked since then. And yeah, just, I was just loved it. And that's all I wanted to do from that day on. And I was probably only around, you know, five years old or something like that. And and am I right in saying that perhaps your first board, I'm not sure if this is right, was saved, you know, from some hard rubbish to be collected next door? Yeah, just from a secondhand kind of, um, board and uh, reshaped. Yeah, that's correct. Wow. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. We're off and running with Mark Okalupo, who is a boy wonder on the board and he's about to enter life's fast lane. That's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're surfing legend Mark Okalupo. So, Mark, just coming back to your ancestry, how often when you're out in the water in those early days and you moved to Cronulla at nine, did you get the old wogs don't surf? I really, I don't know, I didn't get that that much. I mean, you know, the surfers probably weren't as bad or, or definitely not as bad as um just the general, you know, um payouts that I used to get at school. Yep. Once I was in the surf I really didn't get that. So so before the money then, before the tour, before the trophies, before all the publicity, what was it that kept you coming back to the water, do you think? The pure love of it, you know, like uh the days that I was kind of depressed and um, I was really missing the ocean and I'd, I would sneak out there, you know, um, whenever I could, which wasn't a lot, but, but just that's the thing that kind of brought me back. You know, I wasn't happy without doing it. And, you know, like, I don't think surfers, there's so many surfers that I know and it's a weird thing that are good at surfing. They don't surf anymore and, and they don't seem happy. And I wasn't happy when I didn't surf because I knew I was wasting it. And um, not just wasting, you know, like, it's a different kind of thing, wasting your natural talent, but just kind of wasting your life away when, you know, you get good at something and so beautiful out there in the in the ocean and and you can you know you can get out there yeah i was gonna ask you what it was like trying to get noticed in cronulla in those early years mark you know i imagine some some hardened locals out there some some hardened reef rats if you like what was it like trying to get noticed what was the scene like cronulla was a pretty radical place some heavy guys like in the lineup locally and um you know you have to pay your respects and i've learned that there you know, and it was, which was a great tool to have going around the world because if you didn't pay respect, you don't get, you know, respect locals, you don't get very far at all. So I learned that at a young 
great when I got to Hawaii and, you know, especially places like that, all about respecting the locals. And, you know, I caught my flat here and there, you know, for kind of not taking my turn in surf or, or probably, you know, saying silly things um, with my younger mates. Always respect, you know, the older guys and, um, the you know, the locals. But, you know, definitely I learned, like, what I'm trying to say is just respecting um, the place, keeping the place clean all the way, you know, from picking up rubbish on the beach to respecting locals and everything in between. The ocean's the most important spot on the planet. So we feel really good being surfers, you know, and trying to, you know, keep uh, keep it, you know, as good as we can, you know. Really spiritual, you know, the ocean for me. And, um, you know, I just, I just love it just more than I could ever describe. Yeah, so you win the amateur schoolboys contest, I think, at thirteen, and, and and a pair of I think cadet state titles after that. So, looking back, was it a natural talent you think you possessed, Mark, or did you really have to work it hard? Well, you know, I hate to talk about myself, you know, with talent and stuff like that. I mean, I probably, you know, I got friends that tried a lot harder than me, you know, and um and beat me, and I, w- I would say I probably would have got more world titles if I committed more. <laughs> Uh, I'm not. I wouldn't change anything. I'd have to say talent had more than um, drive. When I'm driven, like with my addictive personality, I'm driven. But when I'm not, I'm not. Addictive can have that trait where if it's not running through your your body, you kind of can get addicted to not doing anything. You know, it works in reverse. So I have gone through that downtime. Definitely say that I, I had more talent than drive, and I had a lot of friends with way more drive that would uh would um would take me down just for because they were more driven and more committed. But, but as you just touched on, there were moments when you were super hungry, though, wasn't there? Like, I think there's an old story of you throwing your runner-up trophy into the crowd one day. Do you, do you recall that? Uh, I could have been a, a sore loser at times. I don't think I ever took losing good until after I won my world title. And then the losses were way to take because I, you know, I got that. Everything was just, you know, like a bonus after that. Yeah, but before I won the world title, I was not a good loser. And I can definitely admit that, you know, when it came to an addictive personality, which I keep going back to, I used to drown the sorrows when I'd lost and it sucked because uh, we used to be celebrating when I won, you know. So there's a lot of alcohol that goes down there. And competing, you know, it was great. But um, it definitely took us off. Now, there's a story about you nicking your old man's car from the train station to go and hunt waves. And this would have been pre-licence, obviously. I, I imagine yeah. you just had to remember where the car was parked and what the fuel gauge reading was. I don't know if I even ever told my dad. That did happen. And it was parked. There was a kind of a maybe a 20 car park. Um, no, there was two of them. There was like a top level of 20 and a bottom level of 20. And, and I kind of have to get it. I got the key cut, but I'd have to get it around the same spot. But I don't ever think he was onto it and then I got it to get it back before he got back from work on the train from Sydney and he keep it around the same level so I'd fill it back up I was already earning pretty good money then from comp but um I didn't have my license yet so you can't get in trouble for doing something like that long ago <laughs> but I no, that's right and, that's uh, right take it down the coast and I always got it back on time you know it was all about getting down to where was I going I was going down to Jervis Bay to a really good secluded spot down there that I loved and um Every time it was on, the car was gone. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I think that's called statute of limitations or something or other. But yeah, I, th- I think you're safe now, Aki. So, what <laughs> what what went into the decision to quit school after year ten and then move out of home? Can you take us into that? Me and my best mate that I 
grew up with. We moved out, you know, just because Colonel was so secluded and it was hard to get out of there. You know, like the bus only ran like once every kind of hour or two and, and uh, we wanted to get out, you know, and get into the world at a young age. So we moved out early, but school, I would, didn't go to a whole lot. I learned to read and write and I thought that was good enough. I just wanted to surf. That's all I wanted to do. Especially when you're young, I, I mean, I didn't really realise what I was doing then, but I mean, I surfed all day long, three times a day. My lip used to get so burnt <laughs> and like it was just, could not even put anything on it because once you got a, like a burnt lip, you can't get sunscreen or anything. I always just loved it that much, but that's why I got so, that good and, you know, from year 10, I was going in pretty big contests already. I was 15 years old and, and uh, I wanted to go on tour. So so that's where I went. I mean, yeah, I, I was straight out of year 10 onto, the, uh, onto a plane pretty much. And I think, am I right in saying your dad hadn't watched you surf live at this stage, had he? Like he was a... No, not yet, no. Yeah. No. So he he was a, you know, as we said, Italian-born civil engineer. Did he want his only son to make something else of his life or was he comfortable with the path that you were choosing? No, he wasn't comfortable. Nah, he wanted me um, like, the most Italian parents to follow in their footsteps, you know, and mm. my dad was a civil engineer and I was definitely not smart enough to do that because, <laughs> you know, he wasn't happy with me not going to school. My mum was, you know, my mum used to let me um, take days off school when the surf was good, which was, you know, a lot. And then I, she used to take me to a contest, you know, the contest would mainly be on the weekend, but, you know, I'd have Friday or Monday off school to get back and forth, you know, if it was, you know, down in Victoria or up in Queensland, wherever, in every in between she would take me so wasn't really telling my dad you know that I was having days off school but um because my dad was pretty locked into his own career so it was happening and uh you know when I told him I was leaving year 10 it wasn't a good you know it wasn't a good talk um he wasn't happy but you know I, I had a sponsor and I was lucky enough to get Billabong at that stage I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned Billabong just I'm really looking forward to asking about those first couple of years on the world tour but there were two guys I think in particular who were critical in making it happen one of them was Gordon Merchant, who was the Billabong, or is the Billabong founder, and who at that stage would have been small time, wouldn't he, relative to what it is now? And then, uh, is it Sarge, the the, the sports snapper, the sports yeah. photographer with the with the Daily Telly, who knew a thing or two about building, you know, someone's profile? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Paul Sargent had a lot to do with my career. You know, I mean, he was uh, he used to take me around a lot, and really good photographer from um, you know from the local paper, and and uh, you know a really good surf photographer. But you know, it was um, it was actually my shaper, Jim Bank, and it was a guy called Brian Walsh that used to working for 2SM Radio back then in Sydney and mm. um, I think he ended up working on Fox. Brian Walsh, you probably would have heard of him. It was uh, He was kind of acting as my manager at the stage, Brian, because um, Brian ran a couple of event, surfing events too. He was interested in, you know, that and uh, and we, he, we I went into his office in Sydney and and we talked to Gordon Merchant, you know, we decided to ring him. And I'd already met Gordon because he was showing his range in a shop in Cronulla, you know, and I was really young, but I was just like a little surf grom that would hang at a surf shop, you know, and, uh, you know, with eating some uh, hot chips or something out the front but he said he remembered me and um i had you know i did have a result uh you know in the bag nothing great you know but i don't know he just somehow must have asked you know he'd heard of me and heard that i surfed good and i don't know he just said yeah i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> i nearly fell off my seat when i was in that office and he said yeah i'll 
I'll put him on tour, and um, I think we all nearly fell off our seats. I was on, yeah, I was on the tour because you know, like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of good results. But, you know, I might have one or two, but yeah, it was enough to get me on tour. And uh, you know, the rest, well, is history. It's a, it's a long story, but um, yeah. We're with surfing world champion Mark Ocalupo on this is your journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Well, Oki's graduation to the world tour is up next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is a legend of Australian sport. It's surfing champ Mark Ocalupo. So, Mark, you're on the world tour at what, 16? And you've got two boards and a suitcase, and you're off to South Africa. Ended up carrying a lot more than two surfboards. You know, um, once I got on tour, and, you know, once it got serious. But, yeah, two boards, all I had, and uh, on tour. Yeah, straight into the deep end, uh, Durban, South Africa, which is a pretty radical place um, back then. But, you know, I, I travelled with older guys too, which was a... Eye opener, but you know, I really, really grew up quick. I got street smart real quick. Um, but my first year on tour, I, I, I qualified to, to make the top 16. So, yep. you know, I ended up right in the number 15 spot, I think, and um, I got my place on tour. I'm fascinated to know who's around you at this stage, Jockey. Like, you're 16. I mean, some of these older guys could barely look after themselves, to be honest. No, well, they can't. I mean, you should see surfers. I mean, <laughs> You know, we don't, you know, back then, and I mean, I know it's a bit better now, but we used to have a real good time. Like, I mean, <laughs> there was no uh, going to bed early before an event. It was, um, <laughs> it was out in the clubs and uh, to all hours, you know, and wake up and dust it off. I mean, when you're young, you can kind of do that, obviously, but when you're older, relatively speaking, the guys that I was traveling with weren't old yet. <laughs> you know, I'm talking only a few years older than me, but in South Africa, you don't need, uh, you don't need, didn't need ID to get in clubs back then, and same, pretty much the same as you didn't in Australia. The only place that was tough was America. But geez, it's working for you, isn't it? I mean, the Pro Tour is about to really explode and and you've got a ticket for, for the next year. So by 1984 and at just 17, you rise to the top of the ASP rankings. You're number one. Now, this would appear to be happening very fast, Ockie. You know, that first year I got on tour, you know, was a pretty radical year. But, you know, once I got on there, you know, I think I started traveling with Gordon Merchant. Got a, a mentor with me now, like a kind of a father figure too. Gordon was showing his range around the world. I was staying with him and I kind of stepped up in the world. I had nice accommodation now. Um, Well, relatively nice. Um, You know, as the years went through, you know, Villabong started getting quite big. You know, the salaries got higher and started travelling business class and staying in really nice places. But it went fast, you know, straight to the top, you know, and competing against Tom Curran was an amazing surf, you know, in in front of some big crowds. You know, the US Open comes to mind where, you know, they were drawing, you know, like well over 50,000 people back then. They don't even draw that big crowds anymore because, you know, I guess, you know, a thing back then to get to the beach these days, you know, like a lot of people, I guess, can just watch it, you know, online and stuff. You know, it was radical, you know, big crowds, big finals. And back then, you know, the tour was pretty wild. Pretty much every weekend we, we were chasing events. So there was no downtime.
time, and it was a pretty hectic lifestyle. So this is this is obviously the '80s before, well, obviously social media before the internet. But you know, the level of fame. I mean, you were, you were really popular in the US, and you mentioned Tom Curran. You had a great rivalry with him, but geez, you were different. Yeah. I mean, you were the you were seen as the extrovert party boy, and he was the married Christian. I mean, how do you how do you reflect on this chapter of your career with, with Tom, and also you know those big days at, at Huntington Beach and the Op Pro? I was coming at him live, I guess. You know, I don't know. I guess I freaked him out a bit because. You know, I was probably not as popular as him, you know, um, or definitely not, you know, but um, not there anyway. But, you know, like we're really good friends now, but he was definitely really introvert back then and very shy. And I was coming at you live. <laughs> um, but uh, we had some great battles, you know, we really did. And I think one year, you know, there was beat him in the semifinal and I, and that's the year the riot started where, you know, there was just the beach, you know, had about 60, 70,000 people on the beach and there was some girls, there was a lot of alcohol on the beach and the girls started taking their tops off getting g'd up by guys and um, the police intervened and there was a big fight and riot and they turned their police cars over and put them on fire and i was in the water and i'm hearing explosions <laughs> and screaming and seeing oh, and oh it was wild wow. i came in that time by that time that we we got sent back out for the final i'd already i'd won the final against an australian gwen winton because i'd already knocked out tom curran in the semi and i'd won the final and they said can you go out for the third set because we can't have everyone leave the beach right now there's going to be riots in the street and i was just like this place is wild <laughs> and i just <laughs> went back out there it was safer in the water anyway soon after I was kind of burnt out because I think I was staying with Gordon that year still we stayed with, with each other and I think the very next year we, we he, he created a, a, a Billabong team and I was in that team but it was the next year where I was at the same place Huntington and I wanted to go home yeah the tour was going on to Europe the very next morning because like I say you know there was a contest every weekend and, and I knew I wanted to go home by that stage and uh, I didn't tell anyone I didn't tell the team Gordon wasn't with us at the time you know he had he was a bit too busy back then to travel anymore but uh, yeah so I didn't tell the team and we had a coach and I didn't tell them I was going one way they didn't know but uh, they went the other and uh, yeah I went home just before I just want to rewind a second here Mark so the what got you into this spot like I mean so Huntington like the Op Pro you, it was one of the it was the biggest contest out there in terms of publicity and op. I think it ran for 16 years or so now you took it out back to back 85 86 yeah. you're an aspiring actor I mean I think you know when you've made it when you play yourself in a surfing flick which was North Shore in in 1987 so and, and I didn't play myself very good either <laughs> no but, um, but hey you're in a Hollywood movie I mean but the point is the, the world's seemingly at your feet you're flying yeah. in the water out of the water you're winning you know you got sponsors clamoring you're barely out of your teens so take us into the process of how the tour chewed you up and spat you out like i mean what sort of lifestyle was it on tour at that age and you think that's an experimental age you're still really immature but throw elite competition and fame on top i reckon it would be a lot to handle what what did you guys used to call it like tour flu or something like that i guess i was an experiment you know and i mean i I wouldn't probably you know put my own son through that experiment even though i loved it and it was great but i did burn out you know and it was too young to go on tour and 
you know, kids kind of do that, you know, these days, but, you know, they go into a a safety net, you know, with coaches and, you know, you you know, they've got a whole team with them. So I was was an experiment, probably an experiment that didn't work. You know, I did burn out and I wasn't telling anyone I was burning out. You know, I kept this to myself, you know, the parties, you know, the late nights, living out of the suitcase, that fast lifestyle was just getting to me inside. What I was doing was missing home and, and kind of getting anxious, trying to not coping well but but I probably didn't show it you know I mean which is the worst thing you know like I mean I was never suicidal you know after having friends that have been you know and lost them and never talked about it it's the worst thing ever you know I wasn't that way inclined but I knew I wanted to go home and I knew I didn't want to tell anyone for the sheer fact that I know they would have talked me out of it. Before we get to the move back to Australia yeah. you know what about the crash on the Harley which which probably could be the perfect <laughs> metaphor looking back couldn't it? Well I don't know if that's a metaphor for all this but it's definitely, definitely happened, you know. Um, I'd have to say, you know, we were experimenting with uh, substances and uh, I did crash the Harley and I flipped over a car and landed on my feet. No helmet, no shoes? No helmet, no shoes, because I needed to get away. I crashed in, into a tourist. I don't think he'd done his car that bad, but I was more afraid of the big Hawaiian guy that I'd borrowed his bike and I had to get it back to the North Shore and I was hoping I didn't ding the bike, but it wasn't ding. car wasn't ding, but he wanted me to stop to change numbers, but I needed to lift that bike up to get out of there. Was that the first time you'd ridden, ridden a motorbike? Pretty much, yeah. In all, in all seriousness, Augie, how many intervention attempts you reckon there were to bring you back before you got to that point yourself? Like, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think you might have been engaged at that stage. I know your parents came over to bring you home, but but failed. In fact, did I, is this true? Your mum, Pam, actually rang John Laws' talkback show out of, well, I don't know, I'm assuming out of desperation, didn't she? Yeah, well, she did, and I wasn't happy about that at all, even though, you know, she was worried about me. And, I mean, an intervention is something that's a tough one. It can only be used in extreme circumstances, and I, and I don't think mine was extreme enough at the time. I, well, I didn't think so. I mean, I, I did get pretty wild. I wasn't trying to harm anyone or myself. You know, I had to work this out. You know, it'll be great when they do the movie and hopefully they get it right. You know, apparently these these crew want to do a, um, a three-part doco before they do the movie, and I think that's a great idea until they get it right i've had a few you know different people that have tried to kind of write it and it's so big you know and it's so deep i don't really think there was anything wrong with me i'm a normal person but with um a career like that thrown at you and what i got thrown into and then you had you know the party and the drugs and you know like if it's not drug induced you know everyone's got a kind of not everyone i wouldn't say it's got a chemical imbalance but everyone's probably got addictive personalities to some sort or something going on in their life i can't really can't really know any anyone that doesn't have anything and they're perfect but mental health does really intrigue me you know and I mean I didn't really work it out and I'm still working it out you know I'm 56 years old now until I was 50 that you know drinking was definitely it got worse you know when I was older for some weird reason um you know after the whole tour and you know I was talking about you know the parties that we have when winning or during a massage when lose you know it definitely wound up you know the end of my career with an alcohol problem that I had to address you know and that was the best thing that I did do and now I'm getting smarter life's not easy for anyone but you know um getting thrown on tour at a really young age and thrown to that kind of lifestyle Definitely makes it tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. And as you touched on before, I mean, in the end, you made your mind up. You retreated home to Australia, and and, and what? I guess you were a cooked yeah. cooked couch potato for a while. I, I, 
beer and yeah. fried chicken. You know, I mean, because I had nothing to celebrate or, or, or commiserate, so it was more of a kind of a routine thing, you know. I was, you know, definitely a routine guy from tour, you know, just getting, you know, good routine was, you know, used to be early morning surfs and then, um, you know, and through the day compete and get in a routine. So when I got home, I kind of had a routine and I put on a lot of weight. It was like cocoa pots for breakfast, chicken and chips for lunch and a six pack and a big, you know, hearty dinner. And uh, that few months or a couple of months, <laughs> I was big already, you know, I, I, I put on weight quick. You know, a couple of months, people were like, what happened to you? Like, I mean, it didn't take long. And, you know, with the weight came anxiety. And I was happy at home doing that, watching TV, quite happy. Not happy to someone to knock on the door because I didn't want to go out. Just on that, Oki. So I guess, you know, the the John Law's talkback sort of episode, you know, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but up until this point, you'd remained you know, relatively anonymous. But now I imagine, or it was said at the time that you had, you know, the tabloid TVs and newspaper reporters chasing you down the street and, you know, wanting that interview. I mean, was that a real, was that a real issue? My dad was worried. I mean, you know, my dad was Italian and Chano Ocalupo is a very um, proud Italian name. I mean, it could almost sound like a mafia name, but my dad was very straight. And when I asked dad that <laughs> if that's what it was, he was very not that. My dad was a hardworking man. And, um, and with a name like that, he made sure and made it really stern to me that he never wanted my name revolved around drugs or anything because, you know, he would disown me and, and made that, you know, sure. So when, you know, the South Americans and the drugs came through the surfing circles um, back then, which made uh, the newspapers, you know, and the drugs came through Hawaii and, you know, there was big newspaper stories on some very, you know, um, heavy people and, um, you know, that I was getting caught up with and, and good friends with, you know. And so when I came back through immigration, you know, I got uh, one year I got fully um, fully taken and uh, interrogated, you know, and who do I know over there and why and how do I know, do I know how the drugs are getting through and mm. stuff and I had no idea, I mean, I knew these people but I, I that was not me and you know, I was just a young kid, you know, um, I would never, never ever smuggle drugs or, you know, I only, you know, used it and uh, never got revolved around my name which is a great thing. So, yeah, my father's not alive anymore but, but you know, I kept that promise true but, uh, you know, when it got into the media circles, like you say, it was tough. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Zocchi is in a dark spiral, but salvation is right around the corner. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We've been joined today by Aussie surfing icon Mark Ocalupo. So, Mark, it was always going to be a long road back to the Pro Tour, if at all, at this stage. How did it actually start? What was the trigger and what was the circuit breaker to, to get you back? I think there were a few, you know, attempts beforehand, but what was the one that yeah. uh, that actually stuck? There was, a, there was a few attempts. I mean, like, I was talking about my father and he passed away and I tried to make a comeback and I was trying to make a comeback around that stage and then I got set back. You know, I don't think the requalifying was going to be the hard part. I just had to be, want to be there, really want it. And that first stage, I probably didn't want 
want it that bad, but it, I was going to make it, but it didn't happen. So I went back home and, and um, put on weight again, actually. And um, by this time, it's it been a while, you know, we're, we're nearly talking five or six years, you know, um, competing you know, on the professional stage. Second time around too, I got probably as big, even bigger than the first time and, and it was a worry you know I was happy again so I, I got married to a, a beautiful lady called Beatrice God bless her because she got killed in a car accident up a few years after we broke up but you know she was all time she was um, actually um, worked as a drug and alcohol uh, counsellor mm. um, so when I first met her and she said that's what she did I was like we're perfect together and she was way older than me and she was just thinking there's no way I'm going to get with this wild younger man it is uh it took me you know a month or two to kind of get there but I did get there and we were a match made in heaven she was such a calming lady first I had to lose the weight it was really weird Gordon Merchant the founder of Billabong who I started doing the tour with who sponsored me at that young age was actually going out with Beatrice's younger sister would you believe the first time when I was losing um, when I put on all the weight I was not getting billabong board shorts I was getting from them from best and less because I didn't want them to know how fat I was but the second time Gordon knew that I was getting this big because he was what he used to come around for dinner Beatrice would cook so I think you know like it was again it only took me a few months to put all this weight back on but after about six of those months Gordon just kind of let me go as he did you know like he was amazing because Gordon kept paying me through these whole five years waiting for me to not go back on tour, just waiting for me um, to get fit again so he could use me in ads. You know, he didn't particularly want me to go back on tour. But when I was big and we were having dinner one night, he was like, he's like, I really need to get get you fit. You know, and I can't keep paying you, Mark. You need to get fit. And proposed me a deal because when my father passed away, I bought a block of land, another best thing I ever did, um, up at Lamble Heights behind Cool and Gatter. And um, he said, I'll build your house on, on your on your block. But at that time, you know, Billabong was huge. So good. Gordon, I think at that stage, sold the, went, sold the, the business. And I think he sold out when the shares hit. When they started at $2 and went, got to $18, I think. Mm. And when he sold out, I think he was the richest man on the Gold Coast at that point of time, $625 million. Long story short, he said, I'll build you a house. And I was like, yeah, that's good enough for me. And I sent me over to Western Australia and I stayed with Jack McCoy, and who made um, a lot of surf movies for Billabong and made my my uh, documentary, which is the documentary on my um, surfing life. Jack McCoy, uh, you know, got me on the good program, eating really well, hardly drinking, um, running, came back, you know, feeling pretty good. You know, I hadn't lost all the weight, but most of it. And, and I went back in a, my first contest at Kira and the waves were good here on the Gold Coast. And I, I didn't win, but I'd done quite well and, and it felt great. And I got really fit that whole year and it was 96, I think. And I went to Hawaii and stayed with Gordon and hadn't been into Hawaii for a few years. And it, I got into the pipeline trials because I'd, I'd, I'd won the event, you know, as a young as a youngster. And they never had any, they never let any non-locals in the event in Hawaii. But because I'd won it before, they um they let me in, and I got through those trials, and and I ended up going all the way to the final, and Kelly Slater beat me in the final, and and uh, the ways we big and that was just a beautiful day my, I'd made my mind up you know halfway through that event that day that I wanted to go back on tour and the tour had changed it, it wasn't chasing summer and there wasn't a contest on every weekend it was the new tour which it was a dream tour that um, Wayne Robert Bartholomew started when he was the head of the ASP which is the WSL now and they only went to prime locations which was Tahiti, Fiji mm. Hawaii and uh, Australia and they were all 
all in these countries at the best time for swells. We had long waiting periods. We waited for the best wave. And I'd already been surfing waves like that with Jack McCoy. I told Gordon that, you know, come back. And I want to do a comeback, you know, another one. <laughs> and he's Gordon's like, it's not a good idea. And I don't, I'm not into it. You, you fit now. You know, we're using you in, you know, advertisements in magazines. I think he knew that I was going to do it anyway. And I did. And I requalified that next year. Only just after making it on tour, it was, yeah, it was like, I think I got second to Kelly in my first year back on tour. And the next year I won. That was, you know, the highlight of my life apart from you know having the kids all through the ups and downs it was my it was my career choice that took me through that heavy roller coaster but it was still that feeling of that real sanctifying feeling when I won that title and it was in Brazil when I won it that I had made the right choice and you know I mean even those really dark days when I was depressed and not wanting to answer in answer the door or that really dark day hung over just not wanting to get out of bed or reaching for a drink to try and get rid of the hangover all those yucky yucky times made sense you know getting that world title i reckon it felt like closure for for most aussie surfing yeah. fans watching and i'm i'm not even sure where i read it or who said it but to summarize this path to resurrection someone said of you that you were 13 until you were 29 you know you were older yeah. wiser mistakes were made but you know lessons learned as well yeah well they were you know especially in the competing kind of thing you know like i was really smart at competing in man-on-man heat but to qualify you, you've got to compete in four-man heat i was having to surf those rigorous four-man heats with people paddling all over you knowing that you know you surf better than them but if they if they hassle you and stab you for your waves you can't get through but you know that's why i just made it back on tour but when i got back into the man-on-man situation where you you know you just you take turns as priority and it's a chess match out there I knew that I knew that so well that it, it came like second kin to me once I get back on tour I was straight back on on the program and, and straight to the top Oki the late Andy Irons we haven't been able to discuss but his no, path no. your path do, do you look back on your journey and, and think that you're lucky? I do. I mean, I think about him every day. But, you know, Andy was such a good friend and we were similar. We played hard, we surfed hard, we partied hard. You know, Andy had a, a bit of an imbalance, you know, like, you know, me. You know, Andy was such a good friend and best surfer and the best kind hard person you'd ever meet. You know, he would give you anything. And all of myself and him and Joel Parkinson were, you know, travelled together, we were tight, you know, and um, and Bruce, his brother too, Irons, who was a phenomenal surfer. You know, it was drugs and, and stuff that kind of, you know, eventually grabbed him, you know. I mean, and he was, you know, the time that he was trying to get home was a time that he wasn't allowed on the plane because he just wasn't looking healthy enough and he'd been on a bad one. And if he only got on that plane from Houston, Texas to Hawaii, he'd probably still be with us I wasn't in Puerto Rico with him at that event where he missed his heat you know he didn't turn up and I, and I was watching you know on the TV when he wasn't uh, there for, for his event and for the heat and I was like oh there's something bad happening and there was he just got caught up you know and I'm on a bad bender and tried to get home because his, his wife was just about to have a baby and he didn't make it you know I mean if someone was in the room with him that night and just you know was able to be there and turn him over and so he wasn't going to choke in his sleep you know it could have been prevented but there was no one there so you know Andy usually had a coach or a friend that would you know always be by his side but that day night you know there was there was a team manager from Billabong with him but Andy did not want to be with him he wanted to be in his own room and you know it's one of those things we lost him and you know there's not a day I don't think about him so you mentioned with you you know I had a happy ending which it did I'm just before we finish up like to 
strip it all back. Do you look at your journey as a fairy tale or do you look at the wasted years just as much? So you were a generational talent who for a long time was stuck on the couch at mum and dad's. Like in, in the cold light of day, how do you weigh it up between what you achieved, which was almighty, and potentially what you might have been able to further achieve if things had sort of gone your way a bit more? It's a really good question because I'll ping pong back from no regret at all to shit. How many world titles could I have won? Then one day I'll be going, you know, you kind of blew it. You could have won a lot of world titles to, you know what, I'm really happy and I have no regret and I've learned a lot about myself. A lot of people can learn from what I went through, you know, and, and I probably think the latter is more as in I am happy and people can learn from what I've been through in life. I was an experiment like we were talked about earlier going on tour at that young age and, and getting into it the way I did and I love the talks that I do when I get to do them and, and if we can do this movie right it'll be all time yeah I'm happy um, with no regret and you know I learn a lot Mark Ocalupo thanks so much for joining us today mate what a story what a, what a life and what a journey I mean from prodigy to bludger to world champion not, not many if any have done it like you have so well done on everything you've achieved it's certainly been a life well lived and thanks for sharing some of it with us and i hope uh, people get something out of that thanks it's unreal you've been listening to this is your journey for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives you can jump online find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey